Pushkin. Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10 times points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side by side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. Before they were legends of outlaw country, they were lost souls looking for their sound. Don't miss Mandy Moore in the new scripted Audible original, The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the birth of outlaw country music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the outlaw country music movement and its biggest stars. Hear how one woman's vision and her tiny living room, far from Nashville's Music Row, became the epicenter of a musical movement. Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in The Boar's Nest. Listen now at audible.com slash the Boar's Nest. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is accelerating innovation with T-Mobile for business. Take your business further at tmobile.com/now. Pino Palladino and Blake Mills are renowned session musicians who recently collaborated on their own album, Notes with Attachments. It's an experimental jazz-leaning project that blew Rick Rubin's mind. Pino Palladino is a bass player who has played on records with everyone from D'Angelo to The Who. To Adele. Guitarist Blake Mills co-founded the band Dawes in 2005 and has gone on to release critically acclaimed solo albums himself and has also produced records for the Alabama Shakes, John Legend, and Fiona Apple. Three years ago, Pino and Blake started working on what would become Notes with Attachments. The album features other incredible session musicians like drummer Chris Daddy Dave and sax player Marcus Strickland, and it pulls from influences as diverse as West African, Cuban, and even English folk music. Rick talks first with Pino Palladino on today's episode about those wide array of influences and how hearing Motown music as a young boy in Wales changed his life. Pino also walks us through his evolution to becoming one of the most in-demand session players. Later, Blake Mills joins the conversation to talk about collaborating with Pino and why he feels bad for the touring musicians who have to play his bass parts on the road. This is Broken Record, liner notes for the digital age. I'm Justin Richmond. Here's Rick Rubin with Pino Palladino and Blake Mills. I want to start by saying the album is magnificent. It made me feel like I was hearing something from another time and when I say from another time, it didn't feel like it could have been made at any other time but now, but it had the gravitas of a classic album that I think of as like, you know, like a Miles Davis album. It really uh, touched me. 
and uh, blew my mind that it's possible to make an album like this today. Wow, Rick, that's amazing. And uh, wow, I'm so, I'm just so pleased that, 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 that it's had an impact on you like that, that you would say something like that. That's incredible. It did. Um, Flip me out. Is this, I, I don't know, is this your first quote unquote solo album or solo album with a friend? Yes, yeah, both of those things, <laughs> either and both. Yes, it is. Has the material been written over time or did it all come together specifically for this project? No, there, there, there are a lot of ideas that I've been carrying for quite a while with, with a view to doing something with them at some stage. Um, and being a Libran, never getting around to it, you know, 40 years later. Uh, and I think it's, it's serendipitous too, just, just the way things came together with me and meeting Blake. Beautiful. Yeah, and the more we talked about it, the more it seemed like this could be something really exciting to you know, for me to bring out my first project on, yeah. Fantastic. Tell me about, I mean, we, we've hung out a bit and I've got to see you play in the studio. Absolutely. Um, but I know very little about your history other than certain things you, you know, certain bands you played with. But tell me from the beginning, what's your first uh, experience of music in life? Wow, yeah. That would have been in, in Catholic school, just um, learning hymns. And if I think back a long way, I remember... Uh, one of the first things that really hit me musically was learning the, the song Inchworm, which is the kind of a descant that we did in my school when I was about eight or nine years old. And I just remember being really excited by the sound of that cadence where one thing sings, you know, the, the melody and then the descant comes in later and adds a harmony to it. Beautiful. What was your first instrument? Um, Spanish guitar. Spanish guitar. Nylon string guitar. Exactly. Yes, and 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 that again comes from uh, from school. Um, we had a priest in school called Father Delaney, who was a, a real fantastic character, old Irish priest. Um, actually, not old, young at the time, but yeah, he he used to do these guitar lessons in school, and it was an opportunity to get our classes early sometimes, and uh, we would we would learn chords to. Um, hymns and sort of Ralph McTell songs that were popular back in those days. Fantastic. Yeah, and then play them in folk masses, like Catholic folk masses. So in a way, it started for me in church. And was it, um, that, that's always a finger-picking style, is that correct? Yeah, almost mostly strumming like cowboy chords. And then I had a couple of Spanish guitar lessons, like maybe for a month or something. My mom paid for a few Spanish guitar lessons and then I, I got some basic technique from that and learned a few pieces and really just went on from there. What was the first popular music that really spoke to you? I would have to say um, Motown, Stevie Wonder, um, My Sharia Moore. Um, around about that era, I was really starting to hear music and, and, and really loved it. And, and then I got opportunity at one point. Uh, with the school trip, we went to a, um, a skating rink outside of um, Cardiff, where, where I was born in Wales. And they were playing Motown music really loud through the PA. Uh, and that's the first time I remember really thinking, whatever's going on down the bottom, I didn't even know it was bass guitar, but I just loved what was happening. Um, so I remember that vividly. And then when, when was the first time you picked up a bass? Uh, I actually started on guitar, as I said, and uh, didn't play bass till I was about 17. I started, uh, I, was, I was playing out in my first band, I kept on playing bass player's bass and really enjoyed playing it. He had a, 70s jazz bass. Over time, just realized that that was probably what I should be playing. Tell me about the band. Did you do covers? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Rock and Roll, Hoochie Coo, Johnny Winter, Led Zeppelin, Beatles, Wishbone Ash. Amazing. 
What would you call your first professional job in music? I don't remember getting paid for any of the gigs we did in the cover bands, but um, but we went to Germany with my first band, and um, and long story short, when we got there, we found out we didn't have a gig, so we, we drove all the way to Munich and uh, and sort of survived there for a month or so, you know, with just one week's worth of work. So all that that was my first really official professional gig. But, I mean, we just certainly didn't make any money, and we we all got repatriated by the by the consul as well. We got chucked out of Germany. So it wasn't that successful. What's the first time you played on a recording? I think back. It was actually a show band that my friend was playing with and they were recording at Rockfield in, in Wales. And I just went down, down there to sort of hang with, with my friend who was a keyboard player. Uh, and, and before I knew it, I was playing bass on this track. Um, <laughs> and that's the first time I remember actually having headphones on in the studio and, and thinking, wow, I really like this. This is fun. Did you build your life as a session player in the UK first? I never thought of being a session player. I just wanted to be in a band. Yeah. But 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 as I uh, played with, had more interaction with different musicians, I started to to think about you know what it would be like to just play on different records, and it just seemed like such a cool thing to do. And then you, before you know it, you become the session player. Did Did you ever find a a band where it felt like this is my band and this is what we're going to do? No, but there did come a point where I thought, you know, my strength is, is, is being freelance and being able to go into different projects with different genres. And, and I really start to enjoy the interaction um, yeah. with different musicians and different forms of music. The first time I heard your name was as it related to The Who. What happened before The Who that allowed you to end up playing with The Who? Well, in the early 80s, um, I, uh, this is going back quite a way. I had a call from a friend of mine, Chris Slade, who was playing drums with Gary Newman, great drummer uh, and, and proper Welshman. So he phoned me up and said, look, I'm in the studio with Gary Newman and he's looking for a fretless bass player. And Chris knew that I had a fretless. So I ended up going down to the studio and working with Gary and, and working on an album called I Assassin, um, which really featured, a, you know, he just gave me an open open card really and just said whatever you want to play on this stuff just you know bring something um so moving along that led to paul young paul young's producer at the time in the 80s laurie latham he, you know hearing the record and thinking it would be cool to bring me in on some of the paul young stuff so paul young again throughout the space the next major call i got was from dave gilmore just out of the blue one day as i was in rehearsal i couldn't believe it you know it's Days following me up, I'm such a huge Floyd fan from back in the day. And that led to me working on a Dave Gilmore album. He had written a song with Pete Townsend for that album. And then Pete decided to do that same song on his album, White City. So Dave recommended me to go in and play on this song. Amazing. So Pete just threw this other song at me. He said, look, I've got this idea I've been working with with Simon Phillips and Dave Gilmore. And it's not really a song yet, but would you want to have a play on it? And it turned out to be the song called uh, Give Blood. You know, I heard it and I was just, I was so happy. I thought, you're going to let me play on this? This is incredible. Um, so I did my thing on that. And me and Pete sort of hit it off that day. And that's really what led to my connection with The Who. Incredible. And the, the Gilmore side of it, I, I didn't know. And that's amazing. How did Dave Gilmore hear about you? Uh, from, from my playing on the Paul Young records. Wow. The, the Fretless Bass was sort of featured on one song in particular called Wherever I Lay My Hat which was a cover of a Marvin Gaye B-side that we sort of worked up 
the bass ended up being the sort of focal point other than the voice, obviously. So that brought up a lot of attention to my playing. It's funny when you hear something remarkable. I can remember a record producer friend playing a song for me. And it was, I think it was a cover song. And it got to the guitar solo. And all I needed to know in that moment was who's playing that guitar solo. Now, for me, it's an odd question in a cover song. I wouldn't normally ask. I wouldn't normally even, I would probably, if it's a cover song, I would probably tune out for a guitar solo. Right. Do you know what I'm saying? I, I, but in this case, I, I tuned in. It's like, who is that? And that's how I got to meet Blake. Amazing. There you go. It, it's, it can just be a spark sometimes. It's, it's, there's something there that's like, I want to know more about this. Whatever this is, need to know more. Again, the first time I heard your name was in relation to The Who. The time that I learned who you were actually was based on Voodoo, which was, you know, maybe my favorite album. And wanting to know how did this happen, who played on this, and that's what led to our getting to work together some time ago. Absolutely. It's amazing. It's amazing how... Um, how that thing just translates, how, how it connects. Yeah. Beyond Motown, what would you say influences on your style? Where would they come from? Well, in Cardiff, where I come from, uh, it's quite similar to Liverpool. It's a docks area, so there's a lot of different nationalities. Uh, I had some friends that lived down in the Bay, and there were clubs down there that played a lot of American funk, reggae, from Jamaica, a lot of that stuff, and, and some African music, actually. And so that was hugely influential to me at the time. A lot of American jazz, funk, soul, reggae, a lot of reggae music in the mid to late 70s. And, you know, I had some pretty pretty tough lessons working with some reggae musicians, some older guys down there, and also in London. You know, I was learning fusion to play all sorts of different things at the time, and I was playing way too many notes. And these guys would sometimes be in the studio and they would tap out the, the beat and sing the sort of bass line to me on the back of my shoulder, like hard, you know, like boom, 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 really drilling it into me. So that really helped me with economy, you know, a sense of economy in bass playing. You learned restraint. Yes, absolutely. We're going to take a quick break and then we'll be right back with more. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City Branch Subject to credit approval, terms apply. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand, tempt to hire part time or full time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? 
Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. How did the biggest names in outlaw country start a musical revolution? Through one woman's vision from one tiny living room. Don't miss Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in the new scripted Audible original, The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the Birth of Outlaw Country Music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the Outlaw Country Music movement and its biggest stars. Brewer helped shape the sound and soul of country music as we know it today, despite never picking up an instrument herself. Lovingly dubbed The Boar's Nest, Sue's Place was an intimate staging ground where a new breed of singer-songwriters, wounded souls, wayward upstarts, would spur each other on to tap into something bigger, realer. Starring Mandy Moore and featuring Eben Moss Bacharach as Shel Silverstein and TJ Osborne as Johnny Cash, alongside a full ensemble cast, Audible invites you to enter The Boar's Nest and experience the rise of a musical revolution. One woman, one time, one place. The Boar's Nest. Sue Brewer and the birth of Outlaw Country Music. Listen now at audible.com slash The Boar's Nest. We're back with more from Rick Rubin and Pino Palladino. Guitarist Blake Mills also joins the conversation. I listened to the album this morning. Talk to me about the, the arrangements. Who did the arrangements? And are all of the instruments that sound like instruments actual instruments? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, in terms of the arrangements, I think, again, me and Blake pretty much fleshed those out between us over a period of time. Uh, and with the sounds of the instruments, yeah, there's a lot of real instruments on there. Great. I'm, I'm definitely curious just because it, uh, it, it all sounds magnificent. There are a couple of moments where it felt like it went from an organic, what seemed like a clearly organic place to a non-organic place in it just sucks me in and makes me want to listen more. You know, it's just interesting. It's beautiful. Felt really tastefully done. Oh, that's beautiful. And of course, me and Blake really wanted these songs to envelop you and, and, and just allow you to go into a journey, if you allow it. Um, and, and, you know, I feel, I feel really happy with the way that the songs have turned out. So what would be uh, an example of what you brought, like if, you, if you'd had collected material for the project... In what form would it exist before you started with Blake? How fleshed out was it in your mind? Quite a few of the uh, ideas actually originated with myself and Chris Dave at my home in London. And that's an interesting story too, because the first time I actually physically met Chris was at Shangri-La, because you brought yeah. us together for, for Adele's yes. album. So um, this is a nice full circle, you know, talking to you now about the record. We hit it off from that day we met and, and continued to kind of hang and work on different things together. And whenever we were together, we would put down music in some way, whether it's at my house or at a studio in New York, if we were both in New York or LA. And so quite a few of those, I would say three or four of those ideas started off as the stuff that me and Chris had worked on together. It was me playing guitar and bass and Chris playing percussion, occasionally adding the odd keyboard. Other things were like fully fleshed out tunes. There's one tune in particular called Man from Molise. And that was a tune that I recorded in New York with some amazing Cuban musicians. And it was like a nine minute arrangement uh, with bridges and solos and all sorts of stuff. And um, so that was 
that was a different form. That one I played to Blake and he, he loved it, but he said, how about if we slowed it down? And I thought, okay, we'll slow that down a couple of beats a minute. That would be great. But he meant half speed. So he really slowed it down. So you can imagine, you know, you have a song that's kind of grooving in a certain way and then you take it down to half speed. It's like, that's, that's a bit of a shock. But ultimately I was, I was open to it because of his daring uh, experimental kind of nature. And, and it turned into something completely different. And we just got right into it. And, and, and I mean, so cool. yeah, we're both pretty sick like that, me and Blake. We're <laughs> as deep as we need to go down a rabbit hole and fight our way out, you know, if we need to. I mean, you play with arguably the best drummers in the world on a regular basis. Tell me about what makes Chris Dave Chris Dave. I mean, he's, he's just extravagantly gifted in terms of what, you know, physically what he can play at the same time, various rhythms and, um, and just incredible chops. But it isn't even that. I mean, it's the creativity and the fact that you just know what he's going to play. He has amazing instincts. He'll listen to a song, you know, you, you work with him, Rick, right? He'll listen to a song and he might say, let me hear that again. But by the time he's gone into play, he, he's, he's got it all worked out in his head in a way. Or if he hasn't, whatever happens is, is usually correct and, and new and, and, uh, and vibrant. It's just so fresh. One of the things that I find interesting with Chris is that regardless of what he plays, regardless of how simple and straightforward the thing he, he might choose to play is, you want to listen to it like it, it, the feel. He could play boom, cha, boom, cha, boom, cha, boom, cha. And you want to listen to it. And anyone else plays the same beat and you tune out. And it's just, there's something there. There's something, it's always groovy and it's always interesting, regardless of how fancy it is. It doesn't have to be fancy for it to be compelling when he's playing. Yeah, it, I agree with you. It's very engaging. You listen. Where in the project did you decide this is going to be a co-project with Blake? Pretty early on, actually. I think probably like uh, two songs in. <laughs> I think it dawned on us at the same time because I remember we had a, we decided to meet up at my place here in LA and sat outside and had a chat. And uh, yeah, we were both on the same page. It just, it seemed absolutely the way to go. And the way I see it is, although it's my music and most of the ideas originate from me, you, you know, presenting them to Blake and, and having his reaction to them, just took it in such an interesting direction. It, 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 it just absolutely was perfect to be a collaboration. And the guitar work on it is spectacular. And unexpected and spectacular. Beautiful. A lot of it's probably Pino. <laughs> yeah, is Pino playing well, only, guitar as well? Yeah, only the good bits. So I only yeah. play the good shit. I mean, the, the thing is like, we were just talking about this recently, the, the, my approach to playing guitar on the record was so informed by getting to learn more and more about Pino's musicianship, you know, as a bass player, as a ranger, a writer, like I started to become aware of, of note length and how much character there is in that with him. It, it really was kind of trying to be an extension of, of, of his musical personality. Would the tracks typically start with the three of you two and Chris playing together no actually never never well yeah the, 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 some of the ideas as i mentioned earlier stem from ideas that me and chris had pre-recorded 
uh, I see. sort of vibes. And, and, um, and then we would sometimes break them down in the studio in terms of maybe not using all the stuff that we recorded or all the parts of the drum kit. Pull them up from there. Was there more material that didn't make the record? Yeah, I mean, there are a lot more ideas hanging about. I suppose we we arrived at, at, at the eight songs on the album, and for a while we wondered if that was enough. It's perfect. Yeah, to me, it is too. Yeah, I mean, I you know, I can't really listen to too many uh, songs on a record. Like the first time it dawned on me that we actually had a record was when when I got the opportunity to sequence the songs and and just imagine what it would be like as a as a vinyl record. And then I finally let go of it and thought, yeah, it's a record now. It really feels like we've got enough here. Let's talk about Just Wrong. It started off with um, myself and, and Chris Dave at my home in London, um, just jamming on some stuff. Chris came up with a beat that you hear featured three quarters of the way into the song there. Um, and I played just a, a baseline idea with it. Um, and then I went in the next day and listened to this beat and thought, wow, what a cool beat. And then I, I tried to write something new to it. So I wrote a chord sequence to it. It's like a four-bar chord sequence with, with a sort of a bridge idea. And so that's how that song lived for quite a while. It was just that. Um, and we actually played it live a couple of times with Chris Dave and friends and various gigs that we did. It was um, The title was there, Just Wrong. But I presented that to Blake. And then we started to muck with chords a little bit, like still the same sequence, but just looking at putting some of the chords in a different order in the bridge and making it a seven bar bridge or a nine bar, whatever it is, I haven't counted it. And it didn't have a melody or, or, or any really fleshed out arrangement at that point. Um, and then uh, the first person we brought in was, was Larry actually, Larry Goldings. He came in and I had an idea for a melody. We got Larry to play it on Mellotron with some sounds that I'd hear him playing that were like sampled Ben Webster horns or something like that. And then Blake had an idea to harmonize some of that stuff. So it just, it really was a very organic process. And then eventually um, Sam came in, Sam Gendel, and played on top of the melody and added all his sort of polyphonic stuff through the tune, just him playing uh, chords on the sax and just warming up some of those voicings. The reason why this song is so special to me on, on the record is because it's also the first time where we we opened up this project together in the studio at Sound City, which which I and my partner Tony Berg had, had it's the first time we got to open a song uh, in the studio and 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 really kind of build things outside of the box, not from previous recordings. I think it actually sort of grew simultaneously you know we were listening back to what we were doing and and kind of catching a vibe from you know this this other collaborator which is the studio you know the the space and uh and the listening environment i think that might be what feels so modern about it is the the intervention of the studio yeah yeah for sure we're going to take a quick break here, and then we'll be back with more from Rick's conversation with Pino Palladino and Blake Mills. As listeners to this show, you probably consider yourself pretty smart. But how smart is your wallet? 
When you're looking to upgrade your wallet, it's time to turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds has the financial smarts to help you find the right financial products for you. Before NerdWallet, you might have paid for vacations with whatever was in your wallet. But you could have been missing out on miles you didn't even know you were leaving on the table. Now you can get a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers... Snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. How did the biggest names in outlaw country start a musical revolution? through one woman's vision from one tiny living room. Don't miss Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in the new scripted Audible original, The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the birth of outlaw country music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the outlaw country music movement and its biggest stars. Brewer helped shape the sound and soul of country music as we know it today, despite never picking up an instrument herself. Lovingly dubbed The Boar's Nest, Sue's Place was an intimate staging ground where a new breed of singer-songwriters, wounded souls, wayward upstarts, would spur each other on to tap into something bigger, realer. Starring Mandy Moore and featuring Eben Moss Bacharach as Shel Silverstein and TJ Osborne as Johnny Cash alongside a full ensemble cast, Audible invites you to enter The Boar's Nest and experience the rise of a musical revolution. One woman, one time, one place. The Boar's Nest. Sue Brewer and the birth of Outlaw Country Music. Listen now at audible.com slash the Boar's Nest. We're back with the rest of Rick Rubin's conversation with Pino Palladino and Blake Mills. How different is it playing on a session versus playing for your own piece? It's, it's overall the same approach because I'm reacting to the piece of music, whether it's mine or somebody else's, and, and trying to bring something to it and just bring some light into it somehow. But if it's my own thing, I mean, I get a lot more time <laughs> for one thing. You know, I could, I could do something one day and come back the next day and mess with it, which is not always the best thing, is it? Sometimes you, your first instinct is, is, is the thing, you know, and, and you have to be saved from yourself. Somehow. Absolutely. Putting more time into something doesn't necessarily make it better. Yeah, you, you, can, you can exhaust possibilities, but you'll probably come back to your first instincts. Tell me a little bit more about um, session work 
in general, just because you've done a lot. Tell me about that experience. What's it like playing with different people? What's it like if you like the material? What's it like if you don't like the material? I, th- I think fundamentally the thing that, that, that I always um, come back to, it, it, you know, it's, it's, it's really, you're being asked to play on something as people, are, they want you there, obviously. They've heard something that, that I've done and they, and they want me to be a part of the music. So, you know, you're winning straight away there. <laughs> if somebody's actually asked you to come because they want you there. So, so really, I think then it, it becomes really important how you turn up, how you present yourself. And I'm not talking about clothes or any of that. I'm just talking about what you bring to the studio in terms of like your confidence and your uh, ability to communicate with people. It's really important straight away that you you try and set up some sort of, uh, you know, way of dialogue. That, that's, a, that's a really important thing for me. And then the music is, is more, more, than often, more often than not the easy part of it. Once you've established that you know you're there to do a great job and you're open to communication and ideas. I think that's really important as a session player, if if that thing even exists anymore like it used to. I'm not even sure it does. Uh, and then in terms of like when you hear the song, sometimes I've heard songs and I've just thought, wow, I'm so lucky to get to play on this thing. It already sounds amazing. And as long as I don't fucking spoil it, it's gonna be great. How different are the different um, playing on different genres of music in terms of what the feeling of the session is like? Yeah, fitting into into the genre, that, that's a thing. I mean, I, I've always felt like I wanted to just play the best possible thing I could think of within that genre. I guess you need to be hip to, to a lot of music to be able to do that um, and have an appreciation for, for the different sort of skills involved in different genres of music. Yeah. I think there's a there's a real similar role in uh, producing as there is in being a session player, in that you you have to quickly infer what's what's not going to be spelled out for you, what's not going to be sort of explained, or what's not figured out by the artist, so that the artist can come in and has the freedom to focus on whatever is important to them. You know whether you're you've got an instrument in your hand or not you're everybody's on the same team servicing the same goals and, and and allowing each other to be themselves and do what they're 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 special at doing pino when you were early in your career it would typically be playing on the floor with a band of musicians would that be correct no because i came through in the 80s so um it was more often than not sitting in the control room with a producer and an artist wow because I think, Blake, that was your experience as well, yes? Yeah. I mean, after being in a band and making a record uh, with an ensemble, starting to do sessions with producers who layered things and um, solo artists, that was definitely the, the, the way that we, we would build records. Everything I ever did with you was always an ensemble recording. Yeah. So there were certain, certain times where, for whatever reason, that's what you were doing. I remember the very first time that we we worked together on an ensemble recording, and I do too. It was definitely. I do too. It was definitely. It was. Uh, it was wild. It was a fast learning curve because I remember the expectation was different than what was happening in the moment. Completely. I mean, in so many ways too. There was like the question you had earlier about genre, you know, and and how important that is, or how much that can affect you know your approach there was a bait and switch 
in terms of the genre that I was expecting we were going to be working in that day, you know, not, not by anybody in particular or, or, or intentionally, but just, we went in with a preconceived notion of an artist's background and their repertoire and what we were probably going to be working on. And then it did a complete 180 and it was great because we all sort of responded to only what was happening in the moment. And we were creating new music that was not informed by, you know, what we knew had come out prior or whatever. Yeah. I, I try not to even listen to an artist's past work before I work with them because I don't want to have any preconceived idea of what it's supposed to be. Just what can we do to make the best thing we can make, you know? Yeah, same here. Have you two played on many things together prior to this? Good question. No. Interesting. I don't think so. No, I don't think I'd ever played on anything that you... I would have, I would have known. I would have taken note of that. Same here. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because it's um, different worlds in a way coming together. I never thought of it like that. Yeah, interesting. I would, I would have guessed that you guys had done a lot of work together. Would have been my guess, but fascinating that it, that it wasn't the case. Yeah, that's what the music industry is, though, right? There's so many different parts of the music industry and, and different parts of genres of music that sometimes you just miss people. You never connect. Blake, you're both a solo artist and a play on everybody's records as well as producing records. On your solo works, do you have other people playing typically? Is it typically a band? Uh, not typically. Uh, the first record was, was mostly... Uh, myself layering with certainly some exceptions and then the second record was much more of a, a celebration of some of my favorite studio musicians and 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 just musicians in general at the time and and getting to work with them uh with the support of a label uh, behind me and, and being able to afford to do that at a, at a big studio and and try all that and then the third record or, or I guess sort of subsequent projects after that were some form in between. Yeah. I'm a little less um, moved by the idea of, of, of ultimately making something where all of those are just extensions of my own musical personality. Typically when you produce an artist, do you play on the, on the record or not necessarily? Seems to be more the case when it's a solo artist, there's, there's a little more room for performance from me but in the case of a band like alabama shakes for example I, I barely picked up an instrument for the three months you know we worked on that album save for maybe a tambourine or something like that her voice is so beautiful what a force unbelievable early experience of music tell me what was the, what first got you excited about music in your life it was really mtv for me and maybe it, similarly to Pino, like a, an escape from schoolwork, you know, and, and other expectations from me. I, I just kind of fell in love with the stuff that was playing on MTV and VH1 at the time. So it would have been Nirvana and Soundgarden, Metallica. The commonality with all of these bands and the music videos was always some iconic shot of somebody with a guitar. How old were you when you got your first guitar? I was 10. And, and, uh, and I bought it from a, a guitar store where if you got a guitar, you got, you know, a certain amount of free lessons. And, and I wanted to learn those songs. So it was kind of a, um, it was just a direct access to sort of that fantasy world. And it was beautiful how, how quickly a beginner could pick up some of those riffs. 
and 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 all of a sudden be in the teen spirit video you know what i mean like once you learn the part you're you're transported and and i think uh even even before i took listening to music um as something that could be really serious and and transportative i think the seeds were sort of planted that that this could be uh, an escape were you hopeful to be in a band was that the the dream at that point it definitely was once i was in high school and started to figure out that like you know what what kinds of songs girls liked you know the girls that i was interested in like who they were listening to <laughs> I, I was born a little too late for like the age of of guitar being you know some kind of a symbol of mystery and <laughs> But but like songs, you know, like Ben Folds and Elliot Smith and Jeff Tweedy, you know, th these were these were the heroes of not only my musical heroes, but like also, you know, the 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 opposite sex and in those formative years, you know, nothing is more important. So I, I started uh, writing songs with a schoolmate of mine, and we ended up forming a band called Simon Dawes and um, and there's still a band called Dawes today. And, and I think we went through the process of falling in love with records and the fantasy of, of co-authorship of songs uh, together, you know, listening to Nick and Keith and Lennon McCartney and just having those teenage years, those formative years being formed by that music. I think, you know, it really imparted something on me uh, as a, in terms of an appreciation for the songs. Tell me about that journey as a player, influences, styles. I think the most like succinct way that I could talk about my playing as it pertains over like a long period of time, because there, you know, there's so many phases that you go through in life, but the thing that's always sort of remained steadfast is that I feel that my personality is prone to trying to find the exceptions to the rule, you know, like the sort of like, I know that this is how it's supposed to be done, but what if, you know, what if, what if there's another approach, another way, another answer. And so on the instrument, I'm, I'm always thinking about that without thinking about it and, and searching for that without, you know, really spending a lot of time. I, I think I've, I might just instinctively bypass something that feels obvious and try to uh, come upon something a, a little less so, you know, a little more unique. What's the first thing you played on with Pino? The first time I, I got a chance to work with Pino was on the John Legend record. And we, we pretty quickly decided that we wanted to have a, a live rhythm section for that album. And so I reached out to Pino and Chris Dave to sort of be the engine for this record with John. I kind of looked for any opportunity that I could find to do some playing on that record to just get a chance to play with uh, that rhythm section. But, but there wasn't a whole lot of guitar on the record. And after being amazed for three weeks straight, uh, you know, hearing the ideas and the composition and, and the parts and seeing how it all came about, there's this other layer of the physicality of the tone, you know, and, and, and your hands, Pino, that, that I don't think a lot of people even understand is a part of what they're hearing, you know, until they have an opportunity to try to fill your shoes. And those poor souls 
<laughs> like the, the guys who have to go out and play your your parts live you know and can't figure out how it is you're getting that tone you know or that that much weight that that profundity that was that was a, a thing that really kind of knocked me out it is a lot more to the sound than the equipment turns out yeah a real depth <laughs> thank you so much great seeing you both you too rick likewise once again thank you for the album it's Awesome. Hey, that means a lot. Thank you. I'm going to listen to it again today. <laughs> Thanks to Pino Palladino and Blake Mills for talking about their new album, Notes with Attachments. You can check it out on a playlist with all of our favorite Pino Palladino featured songs and Blake Mills songs at brokenrecordpodcast.com. Be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash brokenrecordpodcast. We can find all of our new episodes. Broken Record is produced with help from Leah Rose, Jason Gambrell, Martin Gonzalez, Eric Sandler, and Jennifer Sanchez, with engineering help from Nick Chafee. Our executive producer is Mia LaBelle. Broken Record is a production of Pushkin Industries. You can follow us on Twitter, at Broken Record. And please remember to share, rate, and review us on your podcast app. Our theme music's by Kenny Beats. I'm Justin Richmond. Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10 times points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side by side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Musora is your access to online music lessons for guitar, piano, drums, and singing. This is your chance to reignite some old musical passions or pick up an instrument for the first time. Connect with more than 100 of the world's best teachers and musicians. You'll get seven days totally free to try it out. And then it's just $30 a month, less than a single private lesson. I mean, why do we do Broken Record? Not just because we love hearing from great musicians. We do it because we think that there is something beautiful about the appreciation of music. Don't you think we need more of that in our lives these days? That's the mission of Musora to inspire, educate, and connect musicians. Enjoy unlimited personal support, weekly live streams, student lesson plans. It's like having a personal music teacher, only much, much better. Just go to musora.com, M-U-S-O-R-A.com, to start a new musical journey today. The tradition of breaking tradition continues with the return of the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business at Mobile World Congress. This is an event that celebrates innovators whose bold actions took their industries to new places. If that sounds like you and you're a T-Mobile for Business customer, enter today. If you win, you'll be publicly honored amongst some of the most influential leaders in industry. And me, I'll be there too. Enter now at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there.